Hello there, Tom Ravs again. Uh, welcome to the new episode of Show Us Your Kit. And uh, it's with Dan Hook, who is a new on the YouTube Wolves scene. Somebody who I've sort of uh, taken under my wing a little bit. Somebody who uh, I can see a lot of similarities between why I started YouTube and why Dan has started doing YouTube as well. So Dan uh, lives in the north of England. He's just lived in Korea and Qatar as well. So he's followed the wolves from a distance, which is why I've, you know, I've stopped doing YouTube really. So I've thought, let's give Dan a bit of advice and a bit of a push. So if you do like my kind of stuff and the way that I reviewed the games and things like that, then I think Dan is uh, the next man in line. So go and check him out on YouTube. It's Wolves World and on Twitter, it's Northern Wolf. 10 uh and give him a bit of support and hope you enjoy this podcast uh, this episode and if you do then let me know either on twitter at rouse every weekend or by emailing the show at showusyourkit.pod at gmail.com um would really like to include some of your stories uh on here as well um so yes thank you very much uh and enjoy the podcast Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 19 of Show Us Your Kit. I'm joined yet again by another Dan from the North. Uh, we've got Northern Wolf here, or uh, Wolves World on YouTube. Uh, how are you doing, Dan? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Just, uh, well, tell everybody about yourself briefly and uh, how where people can find you and what you're doing at the minute. Yeah, so um, I'm a Mad Wolves fan. I'm from originally from Darlington, but lived abroad recently. Uh, I've wanted to have a YouTube channel for quite a while now. So I've started that up, which you can find is just called Wolves World. Um, I've also got a website, which is www.wolvesworld.org, which I try and do a bit of writing every week, sort of obviously Wolves related. Um, and slowed down a little bit over Christmas with that, but I'm going to pick that up again soon. And then also uh, on Twitter, I'm at Northern Wolf 10. So I've, everything I do is centered around Wolverhampton Wanderers. As you can see from my background here, I'm uh, fully committed to what I'm doing and it will be, uh, it's an honor to be on here. Hopefully this will help me pick up a few Wolves fans who might want to get involved in my content. So thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, you've mentioned it there. You're from Darlington. How did you become a Wolves fan then? Well, uh, this might be linked to sort of one of the first items I'll show you on the, the list, but ultimately, cool name, uh, cool badge, cool coloured kit, and that was just too much for sort of a 10-year-old to turn down at the time. And um, I hadn't really, I'd always knew I loved football, but I hadn't fully committed to a, a team at that time. I'd flirt, flirted with other teams that I maybe liked individual players for, um, and one of them was Paul Ince. So at a similar time, he then joined Wolves, and that was kind of maybe the... Uh, tipping point for me to become a Wolves fan so yeah mm. that was quite the opposite for my dad he decided when Paul Ince signed for Wolves that he would not go to a game while Paul Ince was wearing a Wolves shirt he could not stand him he hated his attitude he hated everything about him so he missed the playoff finally missed the season in the Premier League and then the couple of seasons after that uh, Ince still played for Wolves my dad didn't step foot in Molyneux for those, wow. <laughs> those few years yeah, <laughs> it ran funny deep. though isn't it how different fans have such different opinions of players when someone like Paul Ince coming to Wolves at the time, yeah, he was a bit old, but I mean, he was a great player to have a yeah. Wolves then. So, well, even as, different, 
Yeah, and at the, at the time I was only 11, 12 uh, when he first started playing for Wolves. And then, you know, I think by, by the time he left, I was probably 14, 15. So I did know, like, and I could tell that he was a, a once great player. We weren't quite seeing him at his peak, but the way that he used to yeah. move around the midfield and tackle and pass was far better than anybody else that we had at that point. If you remember, like, although, you know, in sort of time does strange things to the memory. Like I really like thinking about Colin Cameron and Alex Ray as yeah, great players, I, but I bet they probably weren't quite as good as Paul Ince. Um, no. And the same with like Kenny Miller and Nathan Blake, they probably weren't quite as good as yeah, Paul Ince. Nathan yeah. Blake never won me over, to be honest. I, never, <laughs> I was a new, newish, youngish Wolves fan at the time, but I never got behind Nathan Blake. <laughs> But he was, uh, I remember seeing him score a goal. I think it was against Preston. It was around about Christmas time. Off his arse, the goalkeeper tried to clear the ball and it came back off Nathan Blake's backside and looped into the net. So never quite seen anybody finish like Nathan Blake. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> any uh, any other players from that kind of time that you uh, look back fondly on? Um, well, I back in those times, Alex Ray was obviously, for me, he was a player that, just a driving midfielder, didn't have anything physically to go on other than just sheer determination and work rate. And you've got to, you've got to like that in a player. Um, he also had links to Sunderland, which I had a few friends and family who'd seen him with them, and they said good things about him. So he was a kind of a name I already knew. Um, obviously, that kind of those set of seasons there, there was a number of good players knocking around. But I think Lee Naylor as a left back myself. I always enjoyed watching Lee Naylor. Mm. I think I wouldn't say I'm trying to model my left back performances on Lee Naylor, but I like the <laughs> fact that I took the free kicks so he got up and down. Some and shirt untucked. Yeah, shirt untucked. Although I always had my own tucked in, actually. I was a fan <laughs> of that. You were Ryan Bennett at school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then the, okay, the, so... other player, um, the other player I would say from that time that never succeeded, but I wanted him to, was uh, Vio Ganea. Oh, when he yes. came as a striker. I just really wanted him to be good and he just wasn't, was he, sadly? Well, he, he had some moments. I remember him scoring a hat-trick once and managing to get sent off in the same game because I think yeah. he took his shirt off or something and then got a book in and then... Yellow, you know, yeah, did, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he, had, he had some moments where he was really good. But um, I think, again, he was another player who was coming towards the end of his career, whereas, you know, other teams bought players on the up. At that point, we were buying... buying yeah. previous players really and uh, trying to bolster the team in that way uh, but as we're talking about this kind of era I've already had a little sneak peek at your shirt I've seen you lifting it up a little bit so let's have a look at your okay. first wolf shirt then right so my first wolf shirt is indeed the um, Doritos oh, I hope you didn't see the back because I was going to come later there so <laughs> the first one I've picked up is my Doritos shirt this was from the season we first came up in the Premier League Um and the main reason I went for this shirt is this is the first shirt I really remember Wolves wearing as a Wolves fan. I couldn't possibly have picked another shirt. Um, we've had some good moments and some bad moments in plenty of shirts. But for me, that one is, um, it's going to be iconic and memorable to me. Uh, not only the Doritos thing, which uh, a lot of clubs fans don't tend to remember who was sponsored by who. But every time you mention Wolves, if you meet someone who's sort of like a half football fan, yeah. you're always like, I remember them being sponsored by Doritos. So <laughs> it's definitely, definitely a memorable shirt. But for me, it was mainly due. That was the first season when I properly saw Wolves all the time, match of the day. 
thoroughly got into following them and was really fully committed. I had a bedroom as a 10 year old or whatever I was then, 12 year old, that looked very similar to this actually. So I've Mm. gone full full circle in there 15 years later. Yeah, well, that was one of the, I suppose I'd have, I would have had, definitely had that shirt as a kid, and I, I think I had Ray number four on the back as well. Um, and I think it was, that was at the time when you would have the same shirt for two seasons as well. So Wolves had that yeah. when they got promoted, and then the following season. Yeah, and I think I remember, yeah, so people would take their people took their shirt that they had for a year to have the Premier League badges put onto them, having got promoted. And I think oh, I had Ray four put on with the uh, football league. Uh, letting yeah. in the number in rather than the Premier League stuff so then I couldn't go and have my Premier League badge I mean I could have done but I'd, look, I'd have looked ridiculous having Premier League and Football League mixed together um, so the name on the back then I did see it well this was sort of <laughs> one of the stories I was going to tell so I'll reveal slowly but I think I think when you see this I'll, I'm expecting the noise to hear it already yes <laughs> yeah so Mr. Mr. Henri, uh, I'm worth more than you, Kamara. Um, <laughs> I I loved that uh, sort of World Cup Senegalese team that he was obviously a part of. Mm. Um, and it was one of, I think, World Cup 98 was my first World Cup I definitely remembered. And then the one after that, 2002, and there was a handful of players came across pretty much on the back of them beating France, right? Salif yeah. Jao. Cinema Pongo. Uh, sorry, that was the same season to Liverpool, but not the Senegalese. Mm. Papa Bubidiapu, obviously, sadly died recently. Mm. Um, and Ori Kamara was part of that bunch. And when he came over, he just, obviously, even now you wouldn't necessarily know a player coming across from some bit part of French team. Um, was it, who where was it he came from again? It was a green team, wasn't it? It was a team who played in green. Green team. <laughs> I've just flipped my mind and I'm very disappointed in myself. I'll figure that out in a second. Um, but he came across and he had every chance of being that player who could have really lit up our season, kept us up, scored loads of goals. Mm. And I was just genuinely, genuinely so excited by him. Um, and I got his name on the back before I'd seen him kick a ball. Um, and it all went, well, we know what happened with him and the team that year. But uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely my player of choice at that time. Yeah, um, and, I, and I wouldn't change it to be fair. It's a good memory for me. No, I can I can remember the excitement as well about Kamara coming, um, but then he, well, just that whole summer, the club were, Dave Jones was not backed at all by Sir Jack. You'd think mm-hmm. if Henri Kamara was the only real signing, they brought in Silas and Okrawanko yeah. and Lujny. From Sedan, I think it was. By the way, Sedan. It was Sedan. Yeah, the- I did. Che- I did yeah. check. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's quite a journeyman. He played for quite a lot of teams and he only retired yeah. a couple of years ago. So, so and 99 caps for Senegal as well. So very, very yeah. uh, much a journeyman. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they, they weren't supported. But they, as you said, there's still some great memories within that season. The Leicester comeback from 3-0 down. Still yeah, Wolves, was- the last, Wolves are the last team to be 3-0 down and win a game in the Premier League. It has been done a couple of times, but we were the last team yeah. to, to do it. Uh, the Man United game, of course, the... There was a run towards the end of the season where it looked like we might stay up. We beat Everton yeah. at home, uh, a couple of other results as well in well, that sort of time. Henri Kamara scored about six, I think, of his eight goals in that run of games. I think he, yeah. I think it was maybe he got something like six goals in in nine or ten games after, and we were pretty much down for a majority of mm. those games. But 
that Everton game, he scored an absolute screamer. I think he scored a very similar goal the week before after against Middlesbrough as well, mm. which is the majority of my friends at that time were from Middlesbrough, lived in and around Middlesbrough. And I remember then, I don't know if we won the game or not, but that goal, I remember just going into school thinking, I don't care, we're going down. Look at this goal. <laughs> this is what Wolves could have done all year and it's taken yeah. him till now to turn up. But it's funny you mentioned Okoronko there again because he was another, I thought, this guy could be, could be, and he just wasn't, was he? No, yeah, but he was the self self titled fastest player in the Premier League. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was. He, I think he was about thirty four or thirty five at the time. He would. He would not have been the fastest player, considering no. Thierry Henry was also in the division at the same time. No. Um, but yeah, but I don't know knows? if you're a football manager player at these times. But Okaranko and Kamara turned out to be pretty good if you uh, <laughs> were football manager at those times. But we know they're often wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, right, let's have a look at your next kit then. So this is a non-Wolves kit. What have you got so today? My non-Wolves kit this time, um, it's something that I've seen on your show a few times, but I had some other sort of stories and things to say. So this is um, actually an American football jersey, and you mm. might see that it's from Qatar, right. which is uh, a country I spent five years from 23 years old living in. Um, so this was actually a jersey worn by me. This is my jersey. Um, and I didn't show sort of your, an NFL team's jersey for the fact that I know others have done that and it's something to talk about. But as a, mm. as a game, I just think American football, if it could only be sped up a little bit, would massively rival football for the greatest game on the planet. I just think it's incredible. Um, it's given me great enjoyment to play it, which... This is one of the few teams I've played for. Um, I've only played for two or three teams, but in Qatar, I got to play for, they were called the Mad Camels. Um, <laughs> so that was, our, that was our team in Qatar. Before that, I'd played for the Staffordshire Surge uh, of, that played out of Stoke, which is where I lived before mm. I moved to Qatar. Um, and my American football team is uh, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, famous for Peyton Manning in most people's memory, I would say. But and Reggie Wayne, but it was just it's just an amazing sport, so I couldn't not show a jersey, and that was just the one I went for. It's a bit different. Yeah. It's, it is funny how many people I've spoken to now because the, the previous episode, uh, which hasn't come out at the time of recording this one, he also picked a uh, an American football jersey. I don't understand that, and I said to I said to Dan last week that I don't understand the the fascination with it and it seems to be quite a recent thing in the last 10-15 years since they've had these games at Wembley what is it for you then that's so enjoyable about NFL I think there's two there's two answers on two levels and it's based on professional and amateur and I think the answer in the professional game is it is absolutely electrifying when it works when it goes right because you've got sort of 11 men squaring up against each other of all different sizes, speeds, skill sets. And if, ever, and if any one man at any one time fails to do what they're meant to do, the player's busted. Like you're not, you're not getting your 10 yards or you're not stopping the, the ball from re reaching the receiver, etc. And it literally is a 99, 100% effort sport at all times from every man. And I think for me, it's you're watching the speed and athleticism, the catching and throwing abilities, the, the way they manoeuvre around each other. And yes, every play only lasts between two and 10 seconds. And then mm. you get a little breather until the next one comes along. I just think it's, um, it's, it's just constantly engaging, providing you know what you're getting out of the advert, sadly. 
Um, and I, and I, subscribe, I pay for a NFL Game Pass online. Mm. Um, and they didn't pay me to say that. Uh, and I pay for them <laughs> online. But they do a fantastic feature. So every single game you can either watch live, you can watch uh, broken down into about an hour and a half, which is the absolute essentials. Then you've mm. got broken down into 40 minutes, which means you get purely, purely the game time, not any commentary around it. Or you get 15 minute highlights. And I just mm. think if people wanted to get into the game, one of those last two options there, you would understand the rules quickly and you would just see it for what it is, which is a pure dynamic entertainment. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Is there, uh, is there anything that you think NFL does that needs to be brought into British football? Well, many of my friends were chatting about this because I am uh, madly anti-VAR, particularly in the, in the way that it's currently used. Goal-line technology, yes, uh, things like that. But, and, and, and in fact, it's not so much VAR, it's the, it's the rules, I think, of how VAR is asked to look at things, like the handballs we see from Wolves right back from Dendonka at the start of last yeah. season to now. It's, it's been horrendous. Um, mm. But for me, what they what they should be aiming to do is follow the American football idea of the challenge, I think, which is quite a radical idea. But I think if a coach had the one chance to challenge in a game, but VAR didn't, and VAR probably didn't need to exist unless you challenged, Mm. um, the the manager could then take a few seconds, obviously before the game restarts, which is the same as what they get in American football. And they've got to make a decision. Is this worth me throwing a challenge flag? So the prime example would be Neto and Chelsea, last time out or the time before last yeah. when Neto goes down there rather than go through that whole rigmarole and it all fall on the referee's shoulders and VAR gets the blame etc although it was the right call of course he did, he, I don't think that was a penalty No, that would have been an interesting time for Lampard to say here's my challenge flag mm. VAR now look at this incident and then it's definitively decided it's right or wrong and if Lampard thinks it's not worth it he doesn't throw the yeah. flag and I think no, that's a- it would speed VAR up I totally agree. It's something I've been banging the drum for from day one with VAR. But I've been using cricket as the example. I didn't know that they had it in the NFL, but it seems very, very similar. But if it, it becomes part of the game, it becomes a tactic as well. Because if you burn your review in the first minute of the game, then tough luck, you have to deal with it. Whereas, and you know, it was brought in to eradicate clear and obvious mistakes. Players know when there is a clear and obvious mistake on the pitch. If there's a player who's offside, offside or if there's a handball, they know on the pitch. And the, some of the decisions that we've seen as Wolves fans being overturned, like um, uh, I can't remember who scored it, but Leicester at home last season, where somebody was running, Neto was running away from the goal and his yeah, heel was ever so slightly it. offside. It was yeah. some of those ones that we've seen, and not just Wolves, you know, we've seen all sorts of different clubs be affected badly by it. If it was in the hands of the players and the officials, because you might, you know, if you concede a goal in the last minute and you've got a challenge, you will definitely yeah, use it. it. And then, and then you can't complain if there is one of these marginal offsides. Then that's fine. That's part of the game. Whereas at the moment, when it's up to, to it's still up to human error, which it will be as well if, it, if this challenge thing is mm. could be introduced. But at the moment, it's still referees, and it's just more referees, and yeah. they are all as hopeless as one another. I yeah. found. Because I think that, like that, do you remember the Bamford one when he leant forwards? And it yeah, was, like, was point, he was pointing, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. But he's clear, I mean, for me, that should never have been given with or without VAR. But hmm. you, you've got there an opportunity to just let the game go on because my also negative aspect of VAR is I find that referees and linesmen in particular have become quite cowardly. 
I don't think they're making calls anymore, certainly not tight ones, because mm. they're going to get bailed out, which means the game then therefore has to be slowed down. Whereas if the linesman played their game, the managers get the chance to make the choice on whether the game then gets brought back to be looked at. Um, yeah. and, and you've got a num- number of screens and people could be sat anywhere with referee associates to look at it and decide. Because the NFL, they have one man sat in New York or somewhere who mm. does every single challenge on every game and does it in real time. And, and that's it. But it, it's, it's for a slow game, they get those tight calls in a faster way than mm. the Premier League does. Yeah. yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens with VAR. There doesn't seem to have been much changed this season, but perhaps that's no, because of it could COVID definitely or... work, but it currently isn't. And I think that's that's my yeah. standpoint. And then I know I know quickly to say about the amateur side of the game, it's it's a great game for anyone because I I was on a team that was sort of a middle of the road team within the English system, which again is way off anything in America or, or you might mm. find. But you've got guys there like 50-year-old guys who have got the, the nous but haven't got the agility and speed anymore. So they they work on the line sort of positions, defensive and offensive line. You've got your speedsters who are still running down as wide receivers. You can have people who come on still sort of special teams type players. Maybe they're learning the game, but there's still a place for them without just being a substitute, which mm. is everyone's problem if you were like a Sunday league footballer and you're not very good. You're not going to get on the pitch very often, are you? Because you're going to wait for someone else to be there, not absent or suspended, probably, or mm. hungover. Um, <laughs> whereas, with, whereas with American football, I find you've got the option there because you can still have 40-man squads come into a game and everyone will get the snaps that they deserve because it mm. suits every ability. And I think if you've got any doubt that you might like the game but not sure what game you could play, I think giving American football a chance because they're, they're starting to sprout up all over the country now as well and you within an hour's travel you could mostly find one or two teams now no matter where you are in yeah. the country okay before we move on to the next bit i just want to ask you about uh your time living abroad so you've mentioned qatar uh mm-hmm. i also know that you've lived in korea for a little while so what was it like following wolves from these different places how how difficult was it was it easier in some places or or what yeah so in, i actually given my location now is sort of in northamptonshire um, I've still not really got any local Wolves fans. So mm. I've spent my whole life without Wolves fans being local to me. But in Qatar, it was such a, it was Doha. So it was a really central major city and a hub in the world that actually there was loads of fans of every team there. So that side of it was good. I definitely met more Wolves friends directly than I have done in other places I've lived. And Qatar was, because they're a, a Muslim society, they mm. have Fridays off. So our weekends would be Fridays and Saturdays. So it meant that it didn't matter what time you went to bed watching any UEFA Cup that might be on, although at the time that wasn't Wolves. Um, and then on your Sunday, because of the slight time difference, your Super Sunday, you caught it no matter what. And you'd already mm. had one of your days at work, so it felt like a third day off. So yeah. that, was a, that was a real positive. Um, but then more recently in South Korea, which unfortunately did coincide with the European things, which meant, A, I couldn't travel to any, because uh, it was too far, and, and B, I was still at work on the Friday, but we're eight hours or nine hours time difference. So my wife wasn't thrilled because she would be asleep at like 3 a.m. <laughs> in the living room watching the Wolves game, but I still didn't, I think I'd missed missed maybe two or three games maximum across the whole time I was in those two countries, and one of them was like my honeymoon, and the other, <laughs> the other things <laughs> like this. So I, um, I definitely, it definitely didn't stop me watching the game, but there are aspects of the time difference that were very tricky. And uh, I hope that it 
short tested myself as a fan and yeah. uh, and I definitely passed those tests out. I was I was thrilled to watch as much football as I did over those years. I always well, I mean, I've very, very, very you know, small version of what you've experienced living in South Wales and watching the Wolves and being the only Wolves fan and it being quite a novelty and the only people who would be able to like mention anything to me about Wolves were like 50, 60 year old men who go, Oh yeah, Derek Dugan and stuff. What, yeah. what was the reaction from the locals then when you said that you were a Wolves fan? Well, it was quite interesting actually. I um, went in Qatar, not so much. The locals didn't really, they were big clubs, but they were all Real Madrid, Barcelona, really. They were the biggest of big, plus it's Qatar. That's where all the money goes because mm. of the sponsorships. Or comes from rather, um, but in South Korea they are huge fans of football, and anyone who is good at football is a star. Like the way they talk about Son now is it's it's mind blowing. He's on every billboard, every advert. Mm. Tottenham kits are everywhere. But I went to play football actually one weekend with my school in Busan, which is a southern sort of underneath sort. It's one of the most southern cities, but a big city. And I was actually playing against um, the son of Ki Hyun Seol, another one. Oh, no way. Uh, well, I was going to ask. I was going to yeah. ask. <laughs> he, he, um, I really rated him as well as a Wolves player. Again, I thought he was unfortunate that we didn't have a consistent team at that time. Yeah. Anyway, I played against his son, who was only, a, I mean, maybe about 20, I think he was. But I said to him, oh, I'm, I'm a Wolves fan. And he, I think, I think he was... Well, if he was 20, I think he said he might have been born there, possibly, because obviously he was read in afterwards, wasn't he? Yeah. So I think he was born in England, but not when he played for Wolves. So mm. he doesn't, he didn't remember Sol or Keegan Sol playing for, for Wolves, but he said his dad now, when he goes to the UK, and he's quite an ambassador, apparently, his dad. He's a major star still in mm. football terms from South Korea, along with like Jisung Park uh, and people like this. Um, and that was really nice for me because I felt, I could tell. He, I wish he's that. I wish he was there. I mean, it would be great to see him. Yeah. His son genuinely was like, "Oh man, you you remember my dad playing football for your team?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course I do." He was he was amazing. So the South Koreans love football, but they love yeah. a superstar. And at the moment, that's Son. I can remember Seoul being uh, introduced to the Wolves fans, and he couldn't speak a word of English. But he, um, I can't remember. It was either Moxie or Sir Jack or somebody brought him onto the pitch, and he was quite a big signing for us at the time. And he promised the Wolves fans that he was going to score thirty goals a season, and we all <laughs> we all cheered, Way! like yeah. of, of course you will. And yeah. he, I mean, he was quite a good player. You could tell he was very skillful, and he was in that Hoddle era where he we was. didn't have a like you said, he didn't have a consistency. It was a very much a transition period between Jones and then McCarthy. And I think under different circumstances, Hoddle could have built a team to go on and, and get promoted and secure themselves in the Premier League, I think, eventually. So he had a good, solid career because it was definitely Reading and then it might have been Fulham, maybe. It was another London team, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe possibly, Fulham. yeah. And, and it, But he had a good time. But he was definitely more of what I would call a modern-day forward rather mm. than a winger or a striker. You could tell he was never going to be 30 in any team ever, by the way. But <laughs> he, he, he had that potential to play in a number of positions, which at the time I could see Glenn Hoddle really being a fan of. Um, but yeah, I mean, he I think he was also kind of outgrown by us because he went up to the Prem again in the yeah. way that we did at that time. But I remember I went to a Leeds game at Ellen Road. We got beat because Rob Hulse had uh, Jolene Lescott in his back pocket that day. I've never seen... I've never seen such an average striker tear apart what turned out to be a very good Premier League yeah. player. And he just put <laughs> the balls came across the pitch about 30 metres to the to the right-hand side or left-hand side. 
and there was no one around, but their right back had sprinted towards this ball, salt to come at like a right angle. And you could think this guy's going to absolutely nail you here. And he, it was like he hadn't seen him coming. It took about 10 seconds for the player and the ball to reach at the same time. And he just did this filthy Cruyff turn and the guy went skidding off away. <laughs> then he just ran down the wing and probably crossed it to no one. But it was, uh, yeah, I, remember, I remember that skill. I remember that skill because I thought this guy's about to die here. And then he just, yeah. he absolutely mugged him off. It was superb. <laughs> right then, uh, time for the next bit of the podcast now. And I asked you to share some photos with me. And this yeah. one looks like it's from your time in Korea. Uh, so what is it triathlon uh, suits it looks like yeah this is indeed a, a triathlon um so basically i've shared this one with me simply because as i've gotten a little bit older um i think i've realized that uh, my chance of being anything or winning anything in in sport is now definitely gone so what i like about the triathlon is it's a challenge for yourself um and in Korea, I lived in, in Jeju is actually what it's called, a little island under Korea. And it was quite mm. boring. It was very beautiful, but quite boring. And all anyone did was cycled. And then my job as a PE teacher, my office was based right next to the school's very large, very uh, nice swimming pool. So I had no excuse not to start swimming and start cycling. Um, I've always done a bit of running. Um, so I, this was after about eight or nine months of me being there, I decided I had met a few friends who also did triathlon, although much better than I do. Mm. And they were like, look, triathlon, there's one in the mainland, which is a place called Daegu, which happened to be where coronavirus massively came from in uh, Korea later on. So it got cancelled my second year. Um, and I was just delighted with myself for what the training I'd put in. Um, and it's a lifelong thing I'm going to be doing now. I, I still play a bit of football. I really like golf, but I now find triathlon is my area where there's always something you can do to keep fit. There's always people mm. that are doing one of your disciplines, no matter what the weather is, you can do one of those things. Um, and I just really, really enjoy it. But I was very proud of myself with this particular event. I've always been very, very envious of people who can do triathlons. Uh, so just talk us through how, or how far do you run? What's the cycling? What's the swimming as well in, in this race in particular? Um, so in this race in particular is what's called an Olympic triathlon. So this one is a distance of swimming of 1,500 meters. Um, and then you cycle 40 kilometers and then you run 10 kilometers. So I was in for about a three hour time, which I figured was about 45 minutes in the water. Um, about a, a just maybe an hour, an hour and a bit on the bike. And then I planned for an hour's run. But I managed to beat my, in fact, I beat all three of those times a little bit anyway. The run, I was surprised how much I had in the tank, actually. And I got, um, I think I did the run in about 47 minutes, which I was thrilled with. Um, so, yeah, I was about nearly 20 minutes better than I was aiming for. So I was delighted. So that's very, very impressive. I was just thinking, I've, I have done a couple of 10K runs and I've managed to do, do them in 50 minutes without doing anything else. So that's, <laughs> that's very, very impressive. I always, I always aim for five minute kilometers on my running. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm very much a try with a Y athlete. I'm, I'm middle of the road at everything. Um, I've made improvements depending on the focuses I put in. My swimming is pre pretty splashy, but I'm, uh, I'm honed the technique just by practice really. And, and all three mm. of them, if you just do the three things, you're going to get better at them. There's no two ways about that. Um, so yeah, no, I really enjoy it. 
I've, I've actually I actually signed up for a, a 70.3 half Ironman, which was in June in uh, Amsterdam. Hence mm. the flattest place on earth, by the way, not that for, yeah. your, uh, for your records. If you're ever doing a triathlon, pick Amsterdam. And if you're ever doing a marathon, pick Dubai. Um, so, so I've um, had to delay it because it got cancelled for next mm. June. So I'm just about to start my 20 week program for training for that, which will be in February. Well, a lot of a uh, lot of respect for that. Uh, so let's look at your f- next picture, which I imagine provides you some inspiration, perhaps, while you're tr- doing these training uh, things. This is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I can't quite see the the quote, but does it uh, does it have a place in your classroom as well, perhaps? Well, uh, as a sports educator of variety types, football, PE, etc., I've always said to people that, and, and and it goes for myself. And to be honest, I don't take enough of this into my own attitude at times but you can actually physically achieve anything you want to achieve and I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger as summed up by this picture where he looks incredible by the way Mm. um this was obviously his Mr Olympia times um and then he's gone on from there to prove that he might have achieved something in that but he's gone on to be an actor he's gone on to be a politician and he's got to the top almost in in all of those disciplines purely from having this incredible positive mental attitude about his his own abilities and the fact that there is no limit on yourself Mm. I mean the guy the guy can barely speak English and he's been a movie star and a politician in a country where (laughs) you wouldn't think they'd accept him at all you know um and I just think as a sports person in particular whether you deem bodybuilding or weightlifting a sport which is certainly something I've never done just him as a as a person in this particular image is with his arms aloft kind of saying look I've done it this is and there's more to come I just think there's a lot to take from it really yeah I mean all I can think is I've eaten four cans of Pringles in the last two days so (laughs) that's that's what I can take from looking at that (laughs) That seems like not many compared to some others. I mean, my heroes <laughs> of uh, I went out for a run this morning and all I could feel was one leg full of stuffing and the other full of gravy. <laughs> but, um, I don't yeah. think nigger lived on many Pringles, gravies and stuffings like Oh man, I do feel inferior looking at that, but <laughs> never mind. I do I take the uh, the message on board. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and everybody's gotta start somewhere, haven't they? Oh of course, yeah. Anyone can do anything, you've just gotta Put your mind to it like whether you can win is different and he's an extreme example but it's like you said yeah. there about the doing a triathlon you definitely could like i maybe didn't have the sort of physique or anything else to do a triathlon when i started training and i completed it and was delighted and then i got fat again and then i'll just do another one later and train <laughs> for that so it's the life cycle sadly but it's about the end <laughs> very good uh right then so the final part of the podcast is for you to share a piece of mystery memorabilia we've had some cracking stuff so far what have you got for us so i have some black and white striped socks that came from um a darlington which is my hometown now under a different guise in the lower leagues Mm. a pair of socks which were match worn by my absolute favorite player at the time called akpo soji (laughs) the story is is he the one who wore like a bandana no he is effie soji oh him and his brothers have in, I don't know when it started, but I would say in the last five to ten years, they've all basically gone to prison for fraud. So while that is not a discussion I know too much about, 
What I do know is Effie Sodji was famous for the bandana at, mostly at South End. Mm. Sam Sodji played for Brentford and Reading, which was probably mm. the highest level footballer of the brothers. Akpo played for like his best was Sheffield Wednesday, and he sort of got kick started at Darlington uh, mm. after starting and then finishing the lower leagues. Well, that's how you might have known them. They had two brothers who played rugby league as well at good levels. But anyway, they're all about 50 now. But Akpo Sodji at the time was about 27, 28. He was an absolute specimen. And you talk about Ronaldo's leap. There's pictures Mm. of Akpo Sodji jumping over defenders in 2007 (laughs) in League Two that make Ronaldo look like he's nothing. Um, (laughs) So I I love this guy. Um, I believe he lives in Dubai now and won't be able to return home because he's got an arrest warrant out for this part of the fraud. <laughs> but anyway, that's, a, like I said, another story for another day. But I remember Darlington was the first team I went to see when I was sort of four, five, six with my dad, what mm. used to be Featham's football ground. They then got this new stadium, which brought all this kind of hope and expectation when really they should have invested in the team and the area would have taken to it. And I think Darlington would have been in a different place if they'd been managed better around their sort of early thousands time. Mm. Um, but anyway, they built this stadium and one of my friends, my next door neighbor, a couple of years older than me, uh, I was sort of 15 at the time of this game. He, um, he was a photographer in the, the stadium at the time. And he was like, Oh, after this game, last game of the season, I forget who it was against come to the changing rooms and I like with me and we'll meet the players. And I was like, mate, yeah, of course, of course I'll come. I said, I'm definitely getting Sodji's shirt. I said, I'm going to get Sodji's shirt. He only scored like eight goals and three of them are in one incredible 4-4 draw away at Chester, which I went to. Um, But we went in the changing rooms and as we were going in, Sodji actually started walking out. And and again, this guy, he was just a pure athlete. And I looked at him as a 15-year-old and I was like, Wow, I was like, this, this guy, and he's in League Two, so imagine what some of the big boys yeah. in the was like at this time. Anyway, and I said to him, oh, I, was like, oh, I think I probably called him Sodji. Sodji, can I have your shirt? Can I have your shirt? He was like, no, no, I've, I've got to raffle it off for money. And I was like, mm. oh, and I joked, and my mate and then I sort of looked at each other and went, oh, you got your boots then? He was like, no, nah, I can't do my boots with it. I'm only League Two footballer. But he got one pair. <laughs> Yeah, it probably cost him his whole salary. So anyway, we turned around and we walked off and he could see us. I mean, I was 15. I wasn't a little kid or anything, but he could see us. I was a bit gutted. And he went, oh, you can have my socks, though. So he just turned back around as he went into his kit bag, pulled out his socks. And they were still, still stinky and filthy. And he'd signed his name on the on the middle white bit of both the socks. Um, and I pinned them on my... I was in a loft room mm. at the time at my mum's house. So the socks used to hang down like this and my head used to swim like here. <laughs> And for about for about six years, I had my wool stuff on one wall, my Dowla stuff on the other wall, and uh, his socks spent most of that time about a meter from my face stinking. Um, <laughs> and then when I moved to university, my mum took them down and washed them, which is why they've got no signature or mud on them anymore. So yeah. it's still a good story, even if it's yeah. uh, not got the signature now. So yeah, well, what a shame. <laughs> you could have, <laughs> I don't know what you could have done with Soji's uh, autograph, but certainly <laughs> not. <laughs> avoided fraud <laughs> yeah well he went, he went on to do well for himself he went to Port Vale after Darlow scored a couple with remember mm. Leon Constantine I don't know he was a lower league prolific striker maybe yeah. um, in clubs as well and then he got signed for Sheffield Wednesday did all right with them and then he went off to like Hibs and then probably somewhere like Egypt or something and yeah, just yeah, yeah. he was a player that I have fond memories of he was one of my earlier sort of idols certainly yeah. doesn't look like anything like me 
<laughs> I've just got to ask you before we finish that poster to your right, I think it is on the uh, yeah over that side, my left yeah. on the screen. Uh, is it because I've seen them on like Etsy and places like that? Is it like a a tube map or a train map of Wolves uh, history and stuff like that? Yeah, my wife got it for either a Christmas uh, anniversary or a birthday present for me um, when we were in South Korea because we got shipped out, so it's been curled up for a long time. Um, and luckily, I managed to get it straight recently. But no, it's uh, it's not one of those things I've in any way memorised. But it's full of players that I maybe wouldn't yeah. know, and, and bits of bits of history that um, yeah, it's it's nice just to look at every now and then. You know, I tend to watch the Wolves game sort of behind the wall. This laptop's on now, and then I'll breaks in play. I'll turn my head and I'll do mm. some revision, basically. But <laughs> I would I would strongly advise that as a present. Uh, it's a, it's very cool, very cool. Yeah, I I very very nearly bought it before, but you know, I bought a painting instead of the model because I was I've missed it so much since uh, well nearly a year now since we last went. But uh, never mind. Thank you very much for coming on, Dan. Just to recap, uh, Northern Wolf Ten on Twitter or Wolvesworld dot uh, org is the website, and then Wolvesworld yeah. on YouTube as well. But have a look out for Dan. Well. At the time of recording, we've got Spurs this evening, but I'm sure by the time this goes up, we've had another couple of disappointing results for Dan to uh, yeah. review. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I've got a video coming out. I'm going to do on the uh, sort of seven choices I think Wolves might have to cover for Jimenez uh, in the short term. So maybe a bit of a shout out if people want to look for that by the time this video podcast comes out. Uh, maybe that video will be up there too. So it might be one for people to be interested in. Great. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening or watching. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and to uh, rate the podcast. If you listen on iTunes or Acast, somewhere where you can rate podcasts and share to your friends as well. And uh, we'll be seeing you again for another podcast very, very soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.